You're listening to the Bethel Baptist Podcast. This recording is from our adult Sunday school class. Today's lesson is taught by Paul Servais. So I decided it would probably be good to define what a proverb is, because there is some confusion of proverbs. It it sounds sometimes like for sure that's going to happen, what Proverbs is, and that's not, it's not a guarantee necessarily. It's just wisdom and a general, uh, a general um, saying on what typically happens and what is wisdom. So uh, as you see, a proverb on your worksheets there is a statement that intends to reveal a profound truth by comparing it with common, tangible images of life. Well, that's a mouthful. So essentially just a, uh, a statement that uses typical things in life that happen and gives us an example on what is truth, okay? And I realized that I just started talking and I didn't pray. So the first thing we should do is pray. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we uh, just thank you for this opportunity to um, dig into Proverbs again today. We thank you for your word that you left us to know real objective truth. We thank you that you have given us a hunger to know, to want to know what's in there. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would just guide us in our conversation today and that you would teach us as we have this time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So um, you have a definition there of what a proverb is. Um, Notice the second part. Proverbs do not represent absolute truths or guarantees, but they give you a true perspective on life's circumstance. So um, we'll see that as we, as we go and talk about. Today we're going to be spending more time just talking about specific proverbs. We're going to be kind of jumping around in different proverbs because, like I said last week, when you look at like Proverbs 10 to 30, most of them are just random thoughts of truth, of uh, little, little bits, little sayings, but not in a specific topical kind of order. So we have to pull that together in a topical kind of study when we do that. When you look at the first nine Proverbs, you can pretty much study those expositorily. A new word I made up, I think, last week. But um, you, can, you can do it that way from, front, from beginning to end, and it's kind of one whole... Uh, thought together, but the rest of them you kind of have to pull together in context. So we said that last week, as a quick review, we were going to talk about wisdom versus foolishness. And what is wisdom? We looked at Proverbs 8. Does anybody remember from our talks, whoever was here last week, remember what are some characteristics of true wisdom? Don't be afraid. I wasn't here last week, but um, the fear of God—that's the foundation of it all. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about a verse that establishes that in just a minute. But um, so absolutely, it starts with fear fear of God, fear of the Lord. What else is a characteristic? How do we know real wisdom? What is it? it, 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 it it's uh, the base is truth. Absolutely. So how do we know that something is truth that we read in Scripture? How do I know that's not just somebody's opinion? Some people would argue that to you. How do I know that's the truth? What is it? Excellent. Excellent. So my favorite verse, you get a gold star. Um, all scripture is God breathed. So really where I was going with that is how do we know this is the truth? Because it's God's word, right? The Holy Spirit inspired it be there. Can God lie? God is truth. That was one quality or one characteristic we said. What is truth? God is truth. So that's one. But here's just some that we talked about. Uh, we said wisdom from, from Scripture, wisdom is available to all. So, And we put a caveat on that, that all who are believers, right? Because 
we know that short of belief in Jesus Christ as your Savior, short of the Lord calling your heart to be soft and understand uh, God's Word, it's, it's hard to read Scripture and, and make sense of it. We're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians when it says today, when it says that uh, this is foolishness to those who are perishing because they can't, the Holy Spirit has not given them eyes to see and ears to hear yet. It's available to all believers. It's noble. These are just some, some things we wrote down. Wisdom is noble. It's, it's, a, it's a higher um, understanding. Uh, wisdom is truth. Wisdom is righteous. Wisdom is understandable in Scripture. It's superior to worldly riches. And then we went on and, and on to talk about uh, those different characteristics. So we said back to truth. We said that, you know, if you're going to look at one verse out of Proverbs that really helps us to know what is wisdom, what is truth, let's look at Proverbs 9.10. So Proverbs 9:10, I'll just read it for you. We're all gonna we're all gonna be reading today, so prepare yourself because we have a lot to look at. But I want to read Proverbs 9:10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the beginning of wisdom to start the foundation of having wisdom is fearing the Lord. And then it goes on to say, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So fearing the Lord then will cause you to want to know who's, who God is, to want to have knowledge of the Holy One. And then that will give you understanding of what wisdom is. All right? So the foundation, the, 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 the ground we start with, though, is fear of the Lord. One, uh, one reference or one tool that I used this week when I prepared for this is a book called Opening Up Proverbs by Jim Neuheiser. And Jim Neuheiser is a guy that we've done some counseling training with in the past year, and he contributed or wrote this portion of Opening Up Proverbs. And he says this, Solomon doesn't merely offer clever sayings that provide useful advice on how to enjoy worldly success. Rather, he teaches that true wisdom and success are rooted in having a right relationship with God who is the source of all wisdom, right? That's just restating what Proverbs 9.10 just told us, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So last week, we spent a lot of time talking about what is wisdom. We didn't spend that much time talking about what is foolishness. So if you see, you see on your outline there that we have... Um, better get myself an outline so I can follow along. You'll see that I have listed under foolishness um, five different verses there that we're going to look at. So, um, again, I didn't create all this material myself. I, I collected it together to talk about, but I use, I use help, right? So that opening up uh, Proverbs I used, and then we talked about this book last time, Practicing Proverbs by Richard uh, Mayhew, that's really good. In, in that book, he tells us five examples of fools that I want to talk about in Scripture. Five examples of uh, fools in Scripture. So you guys see what those are, and I'm going to ask everybody to read these as we go along. So prepare yourself. Pick one that you want to read. I know that Arya is just waiting to read one. I can tell. So, But who's going to read uh, Proverbs 14.1? First, all right, very good. Go, go ahead, Abby. Proverbs fourteen one. We're gonna start. We're gonna start with five examples of fools from Scripture to go against the wisdom that we talked about last. Oh, let's make that Proverbs fourteen one. Always good to have a mistake just to make sure everybody's paying attention. Proverbs fourteen one. Is that, is that Psalm? Okay, Proverbs. Oh. It was Psalm? You wrote down Psalm. Did you watch Psalm? 
<laughs> That's a really good question. Oh, yeah, these are fools. I'm sorry. Psalm 14.1. You're right. You're right. I, you would think it would be Proverbs, Gary, but it is Psalm. Psalm, yeah, Psalm 14.1 and uh, Psalm 53.1. Is that what I have, the other one? Those are almost identical. So we're going to just read Psalm 14.1. Thank you. Okay, so a fool, what did that just say, anybody, what did that just say about who is a fool? A fool says what? There is no God. There is no God, right? Thank you, Abby. A fool, number one, first, first fool in Scripture we see there is no God. It's foolish to think there is no God, right? It's evident around us, right? And so it's evident around us, um, Romans is very clear about that. So I just want to read that to you. Romans 1, 18 through 22. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, because they knew because they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. So clearly. The, that should be one of the first ones you think of in Scripture. Who's a fool? Someone who acts like there is no God, who, who claims there is no God. According to that, they know there's a God. It's evident within them. God made it evident all around them that it has to be a God, but they say there is no God. Right? Fool number one. Fool number two, I know this one is right. 1 Corinthians 1.18, who wants to read that? Drew, 1 Corinthians 1.18. Okay, so the second type of fool is what? What do they think? What 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 is what is the message? The okay, I'll just say it. it's that the cross that it didn't happen. That that the the story of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Makes no sense. That never happened. That can't have happened. It's foolishness to them. The the one who rejects the cross. The concept, and it's not hard to understand why this would be, um, because in our prideful self, right, we want to be able to fix everything and do everything ourselves. I mean, that's silly that a man had to die on a cross for me. In, in my worldly thinking, that just doesn't make sense. I want, I am in, I'm in charge of my future. I'm controlling what's going to happen. But that's not what Scripture tells us, right? It's foolish to think that you can do it yourself. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who do not understand why Jesus Christ had to come. And therefore, there's our call to tell others of who Jesus Christ is and what he had to do. So, number two, the... Second fool is one who rejects the cross of Christ. Number three, another fool that Scripture talks about is in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Who's going to read that one? Ed, 7, 24 through 27 of Matthew. All right, so where's the fool there? What's his problem? Okay, very good. And what is that firm foundation? Yeah, amen, absolutely. The truth the truth of God's word, right? The truth of God's word and who he is needs to be our foundation. So excellent. Great, great answer. Anything else that you hold, including anything else you add to it, any of your own works, any other God that you might think is important, any tradition that you think is important in your life that's going to get you to heaven, you're a fool. 
Because scripture is clear that there's one way and it's in it's faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, right? One, two, and three. I think we're all agreeing on those. That seems pretty, pretty basic. How about the fourth one? Uh, Luke 24, 25. Another fool that is talked about in scripture. Jen. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. That's it. That's it. So what do you what is what what do we see there? What's the fool? Okay, or there's a there's a specific word that's important there. All. All of God's word. That's basically telling you if you're one who picks and chooses of what you like about God's word, and today was an absolute perfect message for that exact issue, because how many people want to just kind of push the church discipline confronting another in sin away. I mean, you, he's, he, uh, Pastor said it's easy, meaning it's easy in the command to follow, but that is not a comfortable thing for most people in this room, unless you like confrontation, and I can tell you I don't, um, most likely that is something you want to not have to think about doing, and yet we're commanded to do it. And that's part of all of the commands of Scripture, right? So God's telling you, you're a fool if you're not going to follow all that I commanded you. And that, that, my friends, is probably the one that we would struggle with the most, if I had to argue, because the next one takes a little turn. So let's read 1 Corinthians 4.10. Who can read 1 Corinthians 4.10? You're being volunteered. She started, so I'll allow her to volunteer you, Libby. Yeah. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are free in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. So that can be sort of a confusing one. And if you look at the context of that, Paul is talking about humility. In his humility, he wants God to use him whatever purpose God wants to do with him. He wants to come to God in humility and say, use me, I don't care what the rest of the people think of me, just use me. And so, in a sense, that's a good fool, right? There's a good fool here in Scripture. We want to be that those that are humble enough to say, use me, Lord, even when it's uncomfortable. Use me. It's not about the comfort of this world for me. It's about what you want. So if you have that attitude and you have that humble attitude, you're a good fool. So we're going to end it at there. You probably can find other fools. Those are five that Mayhew uh, brings up in his book. And like I said, I'm guessing one through three, we're pretty good at that. I mean, if you're taught in this church, you should have one through three down pretty well and understand that. Four, how many times do we pick something out of, do we, do we set aside something in Scripture? I think it happens, and say, I don't like that very much. I'm not going to worry about that one too much. Um, I think I think if we had any of them in there that we we're going to be challenged by, that was going to be it. So, and I hope you all are number five, a fool that way. So, all right. So today, that was in a way I'll review. Uh, so today, what we want to do is take Proverbs and apply it to the family situation, okay? What does Proverbs, if we went through all of Proverbs, we plucked out verbs, verses and we, we categorized them in buckets, what would it tell us about the family relationship? And so this is the application part for you to think on what we're going to read. And is this where my family comes in? Do I come in line with this? But general, But basically we have to break this category down a little bit because... Uh, to have some some uh, order or structure for it. So we're going to do it this way, and you can see that from, from your outline. We're going to take what Proverbs says about order or authority in the family. We're going to look at what Proverbs says about children and discipline, and I will tell you up front, the order, to, order and authority and children are going to be very much close. They, they mix together quite, quite a bit, but the discipline's a part to bring up in that. 
and then we're going to talk about marriage. And that's not in any order. So understand, if I had to do the order of this, well, I could have did the order of this this way, but I chose to do it in this way, maybe just because of the sheer number of verses that it speaks to. But the order and authority and then the marriage part are very key in understanding that, establishing that in a family. And then the children would maybe come after that. But let's, let's begin with order. Um, our God is clearly a God of order. Anyone disagree with that? I hope not, because then I'm going to say you're a fool. But <laughs> I, I, knew, I knew you wouldn't. But our God is clearly a God of order, right? Look at Genesis. Look at how things were created. There wasn't random, I'm going to create a fish and now a rock. And, you know, it was clearly an orderly system, right? If you look at, uh, if you look at Genesis 1, 1, and 2, and then you go to John 1, 1 through 3 and 14, you can see that the father had, had the, the idea and the son and the spirit enacted his idea. There was an order in how creation was going to happen. It's not random. But sin entered the picture, and as far as the family goes, that made things get real messy in a family. And so there is where our problem is in trying to have an orderly family that has the right authority structure. But that being said, let's start to take a look at those. So I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to ask you guys to read the verse, and then you tell me, or someone else, doesn't matter, tell me what it has, in this case, what that verse has to say about order. So Proverbs 1.8. Who's going to read that? Susan, Proverbs 1.8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Okay, so from a perspective of order in the family, what does that tell us? Okay, so children are to listen to the parents. Anything else? Anything more specific? There, there's a father. I don't know how much it tells you the father's ahead there, but there's a father and a mother that give instruction to the children, right? I think to me it's because it listed the father first. first. Sure. And that sure. is an order of importance sure. in my mind. Sure. Fair, fair enough. We, we know it's true. Yeah. Um, we know it's true, and, and so that's all good with that. But there's clearly order. Parents are father and mother. They do the teaching and the instructing, and the children do the listening, right? You can substitute, we're going we're gonna to talk in a little bit when we get to children at all the verses that say, my son, my son, my son, my son. Because Solomon here is, is instructing this to a son. Um, it's for children for the most part. It doesn't, son or daughter, there might be a few that are specifically to a son, but for the most part, we can look at Proverbs, and when it says, my son, that's applicable to a child in a family. So just so we're on the same page with that. Great, excellent. So we're going to build on this theory now as we add some more verses. Proverbs 2, 1 and 2, and then 6. Who can read that for me? All right, Jamie, Proverbs 1 and 2, and then 6. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with me, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth from knowledge and understanding. Okay, so if you're going to put those together, what does that tell us about order in a family? Does it add anything to what we just said? Okay, so it expands on what listening means, right? It expands that first verse we just said, said uh, hear is the word, not listen. I'm, my word is listen, but it says hear to the child. That's what you're supposed to do. Now it's saying, well, that hearing means treasuring and listening for wisdom in life, right? What else might that whole idea of those three verses add? To hear is good. Listen is good. But if you don't apply it, mm -hmm. it basically doesn't really help. Sure. So there has to be application so there is a responsibility there for the child to yep. not only listen hear heed but to do yep what the parents are instructed absolutely yep susan 
Amen. Yep. Amen. So there's a reason we read six with that, because we've we've added a layer of the authority now in the family, right? We've said the parents get, do the teaching and the instructing, but they're getting their information from the Lord because the Lord is the one that gives the knowledge and understanding. It's from his mouth or his word that the parents should teach their children, right? So, so that's an order. That's an order in the family of what it should look like. Absolutely. Proverbs 4.1. Let's keep adding to this. Proverbs 4.1. Yep, thank you. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and do what Okay, and this is a little bit what we kind of just said, but anything else that helps you understand how the order looks in the family? And it, maybe I'm getting a little nitpicky, but parents are the instructors, right? Children are to hear and learn, and the result, it gives a result for the, child, for the children, right? They get understanding and they're to cooperate. So it just helps us understand a little bit more. They're not just, so to, to the point we just made, they're not just hearing, they're acting on what they're hearing, but in that they're cooperating also with the parents. So the parents are the instructors, the children are the listeners, and, they, and what they're to learn from that is have understanding. Very good. We're going to just add a couple more on this. Proverbs 7, 1 and 2. And these are all, again, about establishing the order and authority in a family. Proverbs 7, 1 and 2. Yes, uh, let's have someone besides Abby. I know she really wants to read some more. But anyone else? Thank you. I just wanted to do this one because just the apple of the eye part, okay? So, um, you know the saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? What does that mean when you hear that saying? Which is like, a pro I mean, we have like common day or worldly proverbs that are like proverbs too. So the apple doesn't fall far from the tree might be one of those. What does that mean? Kids look just like the parents. This is saying that they are to reflect the child is to reflect that wisdom that the parents are passing on. They're to look like them. And if that's a lot of pressure on the parents, just to be clear, this isn't all just about the kids just have to listen. The parents have to be instructing the right things so that the child looks like God wants them to look, look like. Now, we have just so much control as parents, right? Obviously, we know... We can't make our children believers, but we absolutely can lead them in the right way, and they can reflect us. And there's a reality that um, once, so a child's faith, a lot of times is, is just a reflection of the parents, meaning they're just mimicking what the parents are teaching them to. So there is a point, I'm not saying there's not, there is a point where that child has to make that their own. And in my family, my two kids, it wasn't until they left the house and went to college and had to live on their own that I knew they did that. And maybe it took a little while to see that that was happening. But in the meantime, while you have control of a parent, you are to make them little use in that they are to, if, if you're reflecting God, if you're listening to God and reflecting his image, and following his commands, they should be doing the same thing. They should be a reflection of you. Make sense? All right, so just uh, wisdom from Proverbs. Then uh, lastly, Proverbs 29, 18, on our subject of order and authority. Um, 29, 18, who's going to read that? Chris, thank you. Where there is no vision, the people are understood. But happier things are peaceful to walk. All right, so... Maybe I could have did this one first. It's just why do we need authority and order, right? This kind of helps us to understand that. Think about, uh, so vision here, what vision is talking about is really about God's commands and his guidance. So if there isn't a vision like that, then it's going to be a mess. There's not going to be, 
there's not going to be an orderly system. But if your vision is uh, as a parent, and this is this is more about the parent on this one. If your vision is God's commands and wanting to lead your children as God would ask you to lead them, and as God would have you do that, that's what he's asking for. Otherwise, they're just going to be unrestrained. There's just going to be chaos. So if you think about uh, taking a trip, right? You're taking a trip, you're planning it out, where you're going to stop, how long you're going to be there. That's a vision. You're visioning, you're having a vision, visioning. You're having a vision of how this is going to look. You prepare it. You, you make it orderly. And you do that with your kids too. You have to have a process. And this kind of leads into the discipline part that we're going to be talking about in just a little bit as, as part of that. So that first one, any suggestions, any things you, know, you can think of that you want to add or about order and authority in the family regarding children? Pretty straightforward. I mean, straightforward in that it's clearly right in Scripture, but how many times do we not necessarily follow that, right? And happens within our own church for sure. So excellent. Let's move on to children and discipline. So we just talked a lot about children to help understand how the child is to look, but we're going to touch on a few, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about the, the ugly the ugly discipline topic that is sometimes hard to talk about. But um, these first two uh, categories, like I said, um, overlap a lot as far as, as children. I just, want, just follow along with me in Proverbs. I'm not going to read a whole bunch. I'm just going to go verse after verse. Start, go to Proverbs 1 for me. And this is going to be easier if you have a paper Bible. There's, there's a place for electronic Bibles and a place for paper Bibles. I was having a conversation with my brother over there recently about that. I'm still a paper guy when I read my Bible, but I get the convenience of the electronic Bible on your phone. So just follow with me. Look at these verses. 1.8. 1.8 tells me, hear my son, your father's instructions. 2.1. My son, if you receive my words. 3.1. My son, do not forget my teaching. 4.1. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. 4.20, my son, give attention to my words. 5.1, my son, give attention to my wisdom. 6.1, my son, and then it goes on for more instruction. 6.20, my son, observe the commandments of your father. 7.1, my son, keep my words. 7.24, Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me. I just gave you 10 verses that he instructs, my son. There's actually 23 times in those first seven Proverbs that Solomon is saying, my son. He's instructing his son, his children, this is what's important to you. And so it's important to us because it's in the word of God. So it obviously is going to tell us things about children. And we just, we just went through a lot of those, but let's take a look at a couple more. So let's see what um, uh, Solomon, in addition, is saying. And again, I'm just randomly picking these. They're, they're all over peppered in Proverbs. I'm, I'm picking them to have some kind of order in how I'm, uh, what we're talking about today, but um, you could do it in different, different orders as well. Proverbs 22.6. 22.6. Who can read that for us? I'm just looking for someone else. All right, Katie. The, the, the youngest kids in the room shouldn't be the ones continuing to volunteer. But I'm very grateful that you are. Yes. All right. Parents' number one job, right? Your, your number one job with your child is to train them up. The child, the child is to listen. We said that. So, I mean, this category could say child slash parent slash discipline, but the parent's number one one thing is to train up the child. Where in the Old Testament is this kind of very similar wording to? Yeah, yeah. Deuteronomy 6, right? And we're going to see that again coming up. Obviously, Solomon was, was tracking with what was said in the Pentateuch, 
because he, he quotes in, a, in more than one place things that look very similar to what was instructed in Deuteronomy. Big surprise there, right? All scripture works together. So of course it's going to be. But very good. Um, there's another part to that, that verse that's important from the child's perspective, though. What's the second half of that tell us? Why is it so important to train them now? Yeah. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many times in your life as an adult, or maybe even as a child when you can remember, do you think, I remember my dad telling me something like that, right? I remember my mom used to always talk about that. Now I understand why. So those seeds you plant, and most importantly, the seeds of the gospel with your children and, and who Jesus Christ is, but those seeds that you plant, they last. And, and Scripture tells us that, that when they're old, they will not depart from it if you teach them truth. Now, there's no guarantee of when that is. There might be a whole lot of trouble in between when you taught them and when they finally figure it out because we're sinful, rebe rebellious creatures, but it won't, it's, not for no, it's not a waste of time. It's going to be used at some point. All right? All right, let's look at Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. What does this tell us about children? Yep, thanks, Zach. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves so we're turning the ship a little bit and we're going to get starting to talk a little bit about why discipline is so important from a parent's standpoint and how the child needs that and has to have that, right? But just like us, we have to be disciplined by the Lord. I mean, we, we talk about this. We we, in a sense, talked about that this morning. Part of your discipline might be that you've fallen into a sin that you don't see and someone has to come along and tell you it. And that, that might crush your spirit <clears throat> because you think you're so great. But um, that's necessary in God's sanctification for you and training up of you, right? Um, again, these two, these two categories of order and how we train up our children are very intertwined. I'm just, I'm just putting them in separate buckets, but in a sense, it's all one because the teaching that we do with our children, or, or I mean, so maybe you have the opportunity, maybe it's not even your child, maybe it's someone else in your family, maybe you're in a Christian school that you can talk about this and, and teach it, but it's all, it's all used for the, the, um, maturing of that child and it keeps order there has to be discipline to keep order so it's not just chaos when we're trying to work some things out now the world is very confused about this this topic is it not about discipline um, God loves us so he disciplines us that in the world's sense is confusing a lot of love and discipline, love and punishment, and we're, we're going to get more into discipline, but um, we are instructed as parents to discipline our children. It's clearly in Scripture. We're an instrument used by God to raise up that child, and, and it doesn't matter how the world gets it wrong. It matters what our heart condition is as we do this, and as we talk about this more, that's going to be a very important thing, but we're called to do it. So, and unfortunately, us as adults are called to be disciplined by God because that's going to happen because that's going to be part of our part of our sanctification. Fair enough. Proverbs six twenty two to twenty three. Look as you read this. See where else? Where do you see Deuteronomy in here? Where do you see Psalms in here? It's it's very connected, but. Who wants to read that? Proverbs 6, 20 through 23. Going once. Thank you, Laura. My son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teeth. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, 
they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproof of discipline are the way of life. Very good. That That's a section, you guys, that you should be reading to your kids over and over again and telling them, this is why we live like this. This is why I tell you these things. This is why it's important. Because this is what God tells me in his word. When you walk about, they'll guide you. When you sleep, they'll watch over you. When you wake, they will talk to you. That That's Deuteronomy. Uh, he's certainly influenced by that there. And then that the teaching is a lamp to you. That's that's Psalm 119 too. Gary. I was just thinking, when I was talking about just kind of immersing yourself in it over and over and over, keeping it in front of you and all that. If there's ever a witness to how not doing that uh, causes you to sin, it's, about, it's the very one who wrote this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, w- and we talked about that last week, right? And we said, so... What does that tell you? What is that to you? If Solomon, who came up with all this wisdom, and God blessed him with so much, if he stumbled, you better really be careful in your life because that is how easy it is to get off track. And he, he learned these things. Um, so it's a picture of we're going to fail at times. He really crashed and burned there in the middle for a while. But so did David. And so, thankfully, it's also a picture of God's mercy and grace to us when we fail. Um, but absolutely, keep keep just share When you have to discipline your kids, this is also a really good verse to read to remind them why we need to do this, right? Because you have to keep being reminded of God's word and what how God God uh, teaches us to to live. I'm going to read for you. We you could we could go to every verse in in Proverbs four. Proverbs four is all about raising your children, but I just want to read the end of it um, as just one. Oops, as just one uh, one encouragement, maybe. So Psalm uh, Psalm Proverbs four, starting in verse twenty to the end. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ears to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and and health to all their uh, health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence; from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight ahead of you. Watch the path of your feet and all the ways you will be be established and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. So another section. Read those to your children and remind, remind your children. Okay, let's dive into the discipline. The, what is what is discipline? Disciplining a child. What is it in Scripture? So, first one we're going to read is Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. All right, Lydia. I see you, Enos and Susanna. See, she knew she wanted to read that one. She knew that was important as she grew up. So, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Of course, it would be because we have sinful hearts. We're born with sin, right? The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. What do we learn about discipline there? What, is, what does it specifically tell us about discipline? How does it describe it? Okay, because of foolishness, we need discipline, but the rod of discipline. So seems to me that that would talk about an external punishment of sort that has to happen at times with your children. Um, seems to me a mandate for corporal punishment. We're not gonna we're not gonna go into specifics and what's the best way to do it and those kind of things. But it seems pretty clear that scripture is telling you that's what you're gonna need to do, right? Um, the heart is addressed as the problem, but there's need gonna need to be an external punishment at times 
to understand the seriousness of the problem because kids won't always understand that. Children won't always understand that. Uh, there are two aspects of discipline. There's a correction, a training, a teaching, but there's also a punishment aspect. So there's always needs to be uh, teaching and training and correcting. Doesn't necessarily always need to be the rod of discipline, but there's gonna need to be an understanding from the child of how serious you are about this. And then there's gonna needed to be followed up after that of how much you love them, and that's why you do it. And that's where then if you read some of those other Proverbs that we just talked about, this is why it's so important because this is what God tells me you need to understand and we all need to understand. So uh, there's a difference. There's a difference between, I'm not condoning abuse. There's clearly a difference between abuse and discipline, right? What, what is the difference? Let's, let's throw that out there. What's the difference? I mean, you could probably go a lot of ways with that, but what is essential in the punisher, the person who's doing the punishing, in the, in the discipline? What's, what's important about that person? The parent. Absolutely. Amen. So it's about your heart, right? It's about your heart as a parent. You're doing this because God commands you to do it. You're doing this because you need to instill on the child that this is really important. We're not joking around. This has happened now 10 times, whatever, you know, uh, whatever the, the thing might be. But you need to understand now. I've told you. I've explained it to you. We've tried to talk about it, but you're not understanding. So this is why that there might need to take it a step further. It's not, it's not abuse. It, it, it's not abuse if the heart of the person wants to be in line with what God is telling them. It's abuse if you're just hitting them out of anger. It's abuse if you're hitting them out of frustration or whatever you're doing to them, that's clearly abuse. The punishment should hurt the punisher as much as it's hurt, hurting the child that's getting punished. Because who wants to do that? Who wants to meet... To me, that's a little bit like the, the I guess, and it's, it's sort of associated with almost um, the Matthew 18 thing. Nobody really wants to do that, but we're commanded to do it. Nobody wants to instill the punishment on the child or serious discipline, but we're told to do it. Spurgeon has this quote. If we never have heartaches through rebuking our children, we shall have plenty I'm sorry, I said it wrong. If we never have headaches through rebuking our little children, we shall have plenty of heartaches when they grow up. So it's a teaching of them. It's a teaching of them of the way to go. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to hurt us too as a parent to do it. Let's talk now, move on a little bit to uh, the, the training of the child's heart through this. So Proverbs 29.15. Proverbs 29.15. Ed, I'm going to have somebody else read because you read already, right? I'm going to mix it up a little bit. So, Chuck, can you read that? Proverbs 29.15. No problem. I threw it on you there at the last minute. 15. Rod and reproof give wisdom, the child who takes his own way then shame So... What what is what is that telling us about discipline? Number one, first line. The, the discipline gives wisdom, right? It brings wisdom to the child. It's part of the process of the child becoming wise. But if we don't do it, and we let it go, and we or we don't want to do it. Ultimately, there's going to be shame brought to the parents somehow. Or in this case, it, it tells us uh, of, of the mother. And that's because there's probably going to be embarrassment at some point because it's not, not going to stop and it's just going to keep happening. And ultimately, it's shame before God that you didn't raise the child as he instructed you to. So the, the rod or the punishment is an investment in the order of the family 
so that the child will have a proper respect and able to interact with the parents as the Bible commands. This is not, and it's not going to be the same in every family. It's not going to be the same with every child, right? So um, now we're going to take that even a step further. The, the, the next proverb will even tell us how serious or point to the seriousness of the discipline. Proverbs 13.24. 13.24. Who can read that? Enos. Right. He who, who withholds or spares the rod hates his son. He who loves him disciplines him diligently or promptly, as, as his said. There's two very serious words there, very strong words, right? Uh, hate. I don't want to be, th- I don't want it to be that I hate my child because I didn't. I mean, sometimes, I mean, nobody has the perfect child, right? Sometimes you see your kid and you're like, what did we do wrong? That, you know, they think that way or whatever happens. And so it's not going to be perfect picture. But from scripture standpoint, if you choose not to discipline, it's like you're hating your son. Um, and then uh, Enos says, I think, was promptly at the end or diligently. That's also a strong word. It's important. It's need, it needs to be done now uh, diligently. So um, they're just more verses that confirm the points of the importance of discipline. And why we can't we can't skirt it, we can't go around it. Uh, last one, Proverbs 14:26, and I'm just going to read that. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and the children will have refuge. So this is kind of the piece to me, a little bit in this not very fun subject that you talk about, but that by raising up the child in the fear of the Lord, you bring a refuge to the child. Because there's that peace that they can have. We, we pray they end up knowing the Lord. They, they make that confession that's real. And then that'll be their refuge all their lives. That'll be their peace all their lives. If you, and and your, your job is to help them understand that and understand the importance of that. All right. Any, any thoughts or uh, anything you want to talk about on that subject? All right. Very good. Then let's just talk about marriage here. We've got a little bit of time left. Um, there's definitely less material in Proverbs that talks about what, uh, what wisdom we should put towards our marriages. There's probably more about the wife in it, but there's still plenty about the, the, the husband. And Scripture as a whole gives plenty of instruction to, to the husband as well. So, if we thought about in a marriage relationship, the the Solomon here thought one of the most this is almost humorous, but one of the most important things he he would put in here or the spirit led him to was fidelity of the husband. Now this is a guy who's got like six hundred wives or whatever. I mean, how how can we we have no concept of being able to understand how that even worked? And Sometimes you have a hard time like sorting out that tension that's there, but yet the Lord put in the, in the pages of Scripture, put those things for us to learn by. And this is also one of the ways that Solomon fell off the track. He started out good, and then he just went, well, he just got enamored by the world and things of the world. But um, it definitely uh, points from a marriage standpoint for the husband to the importance of fidelity in the marriage. And that's very important in our world today, right? With the divorce rate, what it is, with the uh, pornography all over the place, it's important for the husband to be reminded what's important uh, for him from God's eyes in his marriage. And, you know, the, the whole, the, whole uh, the second half of Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 7 is all about that of the husband not being distracted in his marriage. Um, but I'm just going to, I'm going to read through these just for a sake of time. And we're just going to, we're going to talk about these. There's not as much, these are a little, probably more straightforward to talk about, but um, Proverbs 6:29. So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her will not go unpunished. There's a consequence that it's given here and said, if you do that, there is going to be a penalty. It doesn't just, you can't sweep that under the rug. 
there's a consequence of not staying true to your marriage. Um, and, and a lot of times the consequence is the breaking up of what um, should have been a, a lifetime uh, couple or, or husband and wife. Um, there is a consequence of that sin of infidelity. And then that's also addressed in Proverbs 27, 8, like a bird that wanders from her nest, so is the man who wanders from his home. So men, do you appreciate um, the woman that God has led you to? Do you, do you, do you let her know that? Do you take seriously these, these warnings? God put them there for a reason in Scripture. Um, and then 18.22, Proverbs 18.22 goes right along with that. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Do, do I thank the Lord that he led me to Jen uh, when, I, when I was in college and didn't know, didn't know where, what, where I, I, I had very undiscerning heart, quite honestly, at that point. I wasn't even a believer then. But for whatever reason, he knew uh, what the future, well, I know he knew what the future was going to be, and led me to Jen. That's who he had for me. And so um, may she know that, but also may I be thanking the Lord for that. So men, do we do that? All right. Okay, so um, then turning kind of from from uh, from the men to the women, uh, Proverbs 12.4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. That's kind of an ugly picture. So it uses crown there. What what is a crown a representation of? Crown. What do you think? When when a wife is to be a crown of her husband, what does that mean? Honor. Thank you. Very good. Anybody else? Absolutely. So there's a recognition of that. Yep. So a crown is really, if you looked it up, it's an or, uh, ornament symbolizing authority, legitimacy, or victory. Authority, legitimacy, or victory. Remember when they put crown the wreath uh, during Olympic times, you'd get the, the crown. Um, so as a woman, are you that to your husband? Are you... You recognize the authority. That's clear when people see that in your family. You, you honor him. You say legitimately he's, he's the leader and I'm, I'm the support. Um, I'm in submission to that. Um, but also uh, together, you, got, you work together like royalty should work together to lead. You do that together. So that's an interesting crown crown analogy, I think, right there. One that we don't necessarily get often or anywhere else that I know of. Um, or does the second part of this verse describe you as a woman? Do you shame him? So, And that can be in a whole lot of ways. So that can be not understanding the authority, not appreciating that, and going against that. And that's what some of the rest of, of the verses talk about, honestly, in Proverbs. So Proverbs 14, 1 says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. So do you work together as husband and wife? Um, as, a, as a wife, do you see the direction that the husband wants to go? In? And you probably don't always agree with it, but you understand the authority. And so you go with it and you contribute as best you can. And um, together, you, you work together as a team. Uh, Proverbs 29.1 and Proverbs 20, I'm sorry, Proverbs 21.9 and 21.19. And here's, here's a term that's used over and over in Proverbs for women that are not living as they should. It's better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. 19, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious or vexing woman. Uh, Proverbs 19, Proverbs 25, Proverbs 27, bring up contentious, contentious, contentious. What does that word mean? Contentious, what is that? Because if we don't know what the words mean, how good is, are the instructions? Okay, okay. 
That could be, it could be that, absolutely. What else can it mean? I mean, that, that's the general. How does that happen, maybe, is, is what, I, yeah, argumentative, absolutely. Ar <laughs> Being a hag, <laughs> a nag. <laughs> well, it's in there because that's the whole drippy faucet thing, right? So it uses that whole drippy rain or faucet, whatever version you have. And that's just like over and over and over again and not letting up, right? So um, dis argumentative, disagreeable, seeking strife, always trying to get your point in there and, and to mess up the system or whatever it might be. Or, and, and quite honestly, maybe sometimes, well, not quite honestly, it probably happens more than us men want to admit, but a lot of times maybe the wife's idea is better. But, and sometimes it takes the, the man working through that to, to figure that out. That's the helpmate part where you help you help with with the process, um, but there's clear authority, right? We're back we're back to order in the, in our whole discussion. We've now turned right back to the beginning, and we're really back to the order and authority uh, of of a mar of of a family, and specifically here in marriage. So we're pretty we're we've covered a lot of them. There's a lot more verses we could look at, but obviously um, we don't have the time to do that. I just want to share uh, one last verse from J. Adams. So this book was written a long time ago, but if any of you have, uh, have not seen it, it's, it's very good. So there, and there is a, um, there's a chapter specifically in this book. So it's Christian Living in the Home by J. Adams. There's a chapter specifically that talks about how important the marriage relationship needs to be that it needs to be primary before the children. And the parents can't live through the children. The parents, the marriage is number one authority, is number one importance, and the children come after that. And um, so I'll let you, if you want to read more about that, that that's in there. But in a, in a different chapter, he makes this quote, the Christian home is a place where sinful persons face the problems of a sinful world. The Christian home. Yet they face them together with God and his resources, which are all centered in Christ. And then he quotes Colossians 2.3. So let's understand Colossians 2.3 tells us, says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's in Christ is, is the reference there. In Jesus Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus Christ is wisdom and knowledge. And he goes on to complete the verse, uh, complete the quote by saying, Sinners live in a Christian home, but the sinless Savior lives there too. And that is what makes the difference. So that's of most importance. Yeah, Gary. Yeah, this thing is about, says about the, the marriage first in a relationship. And think about the implications of what happens in that realm too. Right. And it pretty much represents most of society today. Yeah. Because schedules are made up where the kids come first. You know, if there's soccer or whatever, and, and each kid has their own schedule pretty soon, everything is made up. Yeah. Doing, running after yeah. uh, pleasure of the children. Right. And, and even to the sacrifice of faithful attendance to church or this type program that would, would you know, benefit from the word. Mm -hmm. Once you go down that road, it is hard to pull that back mm -hmm. because now you have to say, the whole family, we're going to make a major change. Mm -hmm. We're going to shut this down and start doing it the way that God says to do it. Mm -hmm. That is hard to do because yeah. now you're, you're turning the faucet off and there are these desires that are now not being met. Right. And so starting that way to start with in a marriage is a big thing. Yeah, amen. Amen. And it, and it's gonna be it's gonna get busy. No one says it's not gonna get busy if you have multiple kids. It's gonna be busy, and you want things for the children. But the most important thing you should want is them to be rooted in in God's word and be and in that being primary in everything. And it doesn't mean you can't do those other activities, but it means be wise about it that those other activities don't overtake or or get in the way of the, the things of the Lord that you should be doing. And 
and that, that takes wisdom, you guys. That's not easy. That's why you're in the Word and seek, continually seeking God's wisdom and praying, praying about it for sure. So, um, great. Thank you. Anyone else? All right, well, so we move on to um, Proverbs in the, in the area of finance, money, um, next week. So uh, we will look forward to that. So if you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for the wisdom of your word, for Solomon, who you used his hand to put down these Proverbs. Uh, we confess that we are uh, uh, lacking, extremely lacking in wisdom. Uh, many times, and, and certainly are without you, but you are wisdom, and you have given us your word so we might know you by and um, live by which you command us. So we thank you most importantly right now for Jesus Christ, who you sent on our behalf for the salvation that he brought us that we could not attain on our own, for the sacrifice, uh, for the humility that uh, was, was presented there at the cross for us and the ultimate um, salvation that that brought us by atoning for for our sinfulness. So we love you, Lord. We know that you love us. Continue to to work at us, bring the discipline when it needs to be, and teach us and change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen and learn with us. We hope that next time you'll join us in person. We meet every Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10 a.m. In addition to our traditional worship service, we also offer Sunday school classes for children and adults, as well as child care services in our staffed nursery. For more information about Bethel Baptist Church, please visit our website.